going to talk tonight from a word that you'll hear bandied about in religious circles quite often. A lot of times we make empty stabs at explaining them, but we're going to look right into the Word of God concerning the word righteousness. If I were to ask you tonight to explain justification, I, I, I think we would do our best to explain it means a reason or an alibi. If I were to ask you what sanctification means, you'd take a pretty good guess at saying purity or a moral cleansing, a separation from sin and evil, but righteousness. I want to talk about righteousness. And by the way, the religious world wants us to believe that just by believing in God, that he gives us this transference of alibi and now we're justified just by believing in God. Well, if that's true, if that's true, just mental ascension, then James 2.19 said the devils, plural, also believe and tremble. So if just mental ascension brings justification or an alibi to my sinful past, then we might be surprised when we get to heaven who's there. But that's not the case. Because Bible believing means more than just mental acceptance. It demands faith followed by action. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to read from the split screen tonight. King James and the contemporary English. I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed. What does that mean? Go beyond. The righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Let's go all the way through 22, Brother Scott, in the King James, then we'll go back and do the contemporary. Please, thank you. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill, and whosoever kills is in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother, without a cause, without a cause, shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Reka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Pretty straight words Jesus is talking. Now let's go back to verse 20 and read from the contemporary English, sir. You must obey God's commands better than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law obey them. If you don't, I promise you, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Give me a measuring stick, Lord. Give me something to judge or gauge my depth in the kingdom by. He said, I just gave it to you. You know our ancestors were told, don't murder. A murderer must be brought to trial. 22, please. But I promise you, if you are angry with someone, you will have to stand trial. If you call someone a fool, take into court. And if you say that someone is worthless, you'll be in danger of the fires of hell. I don't think there was a whole lot of shouting going on that day when he was preaching. I don't even think the church board was shouting over in the corner when he was preaching this. Pretty sure the musicians were all ears when Jesus was talking. 
about being careful what we say and who we accuse of what. I want to talk tonight about true righteousness. Except our righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, we're not going in. Bless your good name, Lord Jesus, tonight. We love you. We need you. We desire you. We thank you, God, for being in our midst, in our company, in our presence. Help us to draw near unto you, Lord God, tonight through your word, through your spirit, through your people. Bless, encourage, help, prosper your people, God. And as the man said, help us leave here better than we came in the precious name of Jesus. True righteousness, you may be seated. If you haven't already acknowledged, take note of the fact that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5 from what many people call his greatest sermon ever, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes. I am never ceased to be at wonder and amazement at how the Christian world as a rule or as a whole makes so much, help me Lord, you know the context, we make so much of John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I'm thankful for that tonight. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brother, in that promise alone, there's great reason to celebrate tonight. But Christendom as a rule, the Christian society in general, looks at that and says, that's all I need to know. If you don't know anything but John 3.16, hallelujah, let's have a party. Do you know what I'm talking about tonight? But we read the text of Jesus saying, except your righteousness exceed what the Pharisees and scribes have, you're not going anywhere. And it doesn't even register on my conscience meter. I'm over here getting silly about, for God so loved the world. And my conscience meter doesn't even go. It passes by me for the most part like a fish swimming in calm waters. A danger among the people of God today is this desire to be extra spiritual. And this goal to be in that, in that place where very few abide. Things I've been asked like, have you got a word for me? Or I'm waiting on a sign from heaven. It's almost mystical to live in such a dimension. And people in the Christian circles elevate that like it's something to be desired. Shouting going on tonight, is there, Brother Bear? Jesus said in John 6, 63, the word that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. I firmly believe, I taught my kids from the time they were able to read the Bible, that you're never more spiritual than when you've got your face in the word of God. We seek this mystical spirituality. That the Christian world tells us only certain people get that. But I'm telling you, you're never more in contact with God than when you're searching the scriptures. 
for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Spiritual walks are done in total humility. If my spiritual walk or his spiritual walk tries to bring personal accolades to self, then that's what it is. It's all about self. But Jesus brings up righteousness here, not spirituality. He's talking about righteousness, not spiritual elevation, not the tempo and and pace of your spirituality. Mr. Webster said, righteousness is being morally superb. Being sterling or holy in conduct, unquote. No wonder Jesus talked about righteousness being morally superb. So I ask you tonight, if you had the choice, would you rather be spiritual or righteous? You know, you, you know what I'm talking about. When I say spiritual, I'm talking about in the text of the Christian circle. They make it into super spiritual. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 6, Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. I will say this, that in my, in my observation... People that try to be ultra spiritual, they only do one thing. They cheapen, they cheapen true Bible salvation. Listen very closely. We read it, verse 20 again of our text, Sister Pleo, please. Jesus said, except my righteousness exceeds, exceeds. Are you trying to tell me? That that measuring stick of our spirituality, the backdrop of how God gauges my walk, is the picture of the Pharisee's lifestyle. Someone would think about that and say, that's a shoe-in. No problem there. I know I'm better than the Pharisees. people think such a thing because there's a stigma attached to being pharisaical. It's hypocrisy. Say one thing, do another. Make a promise and never come through. Look all holy and live all evil. Say you've got it together with God when in fact, no, 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 you don't. So when people say no problem exceeding their righteousness, I get it. But look at how Jesus itemized the practices of the Pharisees. You ready? Remember I opened with how we, we idolize the fanciful while other things don't even register. I've said this 10,000 times. Maybe that's, that's exaggeration, but I've said it a lot. We should be really careful about saying things like, to prove our spirituality, like, I believe everything in the Bible, and never read it. (laughs) 
I believe everything in the Bible, and I appreciate blind faith. That's important, Brother Eugene. Blind faith is important in life sometimes. Sometimes I just have to trust people even though I don't know them all the way. It just takes blind faith. I, I get that. But when people boast of believing everything in the contents of the Bible, all I have to do is look at how you dress. In church versus out of church. Hello, somebody. How spiritual we act in the altar behind the pulpit. And different, and I'm not saying you do that, but it's easy to say one thing and do another. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 23, verse 15. He said, the Pharisees will compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. But look at that first part of the statement. The Pharisees, Jesus admitted, they will work hard for converts. He said they were very serious about outreach. They'd get in boats and cross the ocean. They'd walk across the land to make one convert. I'm telling you tonight, the Pharisees were very evangelistic. They didn't have to be asked to show up at outreach day. They didn't have to be involved in passing out tracts, handing out church cards. They were evangelistic-minded. Jesus said that. Matthew 23, verse 23. Jesus himself said that they pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, but they've omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. But look what he said at first. They pay their tithes. Hello, somebody. They are evangelistic-minded, and they're supportive of the work of God as they see it. They are tithe payers. Did you know that Google said, check it out right now if you want. I just did it right before I walked out of here for church tonight. Mr. Google, whoever that is, says that only 5% of United States churchgoers confess to being tithe payers. 147 million, he said, people say they're faithful, regular, attending churchgoers. And he said, whoever that is, 5% of them say they faithfully pay tithe. The Pharisees had a reputation for supporting Number two, the Pharisees were tithe payers. We know they were soul winners because Jesus said that. We know they were tithers. Jesus said that. Matthew 9, verse 14. Matthew 9, verse 14. The Bible said they fast a lot. These guys fast a lot.
Matthew 23, verse 14. <laughs> they make long prayers. They evangelize. They tithe. They fast. And they pray. And I sent that to about a half a dozen pastors today. And most of them responded the same way. Oh, for a handful of saints that would work so hard to evangelize, to tithe, to fast, and to pray. Jesus doesn't say here, they don't do that or they just say they do that. He said that's what they do. And we go full circle back to our opening statement. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. Oh, I believe that I'm going. Well, I'm glad you believe. I'm glad you believe in God. If you don't, we wouldn't even have to talk about being born again. Jesus said, unless my righteousness goes beyond evangelistic, tithe-paying, fasting often, praying men. I don't, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm not trying to be negative or scold or mean. I'm just preaching what God gave me. You know the funny thing about preaching I say funny, and it's not, I don't mean in a comical way, but in a strange way that you have to process as a pastor or an evangelist or a prophet or an apostle or a missionary, whatever, is that God gives you words to speak to congregations. You know it. You get it in prayer. You get it while fasting. You get it worth studying. And sometimes you come out knowing, oh, Lord, how am I going to preach this? Because I know that about his life. He shared something with me in confidence. She talked to me about something in confidence. And God gave me a word last week to talk about. Jesus said, except... Ron Herring, your righteousness exceeds evangelistic tithe praying, fasting, and praying men. What a job order! That's a tough lot to fill. When's the last time you fasted? Don't answer that. When's the last time you came to prayer meeting? Don't answer that. When's the last time you paid tithes? Don't answer that. When's the last time you, you handed out church card? Don't answer that. These guys did it like clockwork. Someone said, give them an A for effort. Someone said, well, at least they were trying. They were efforting. They were just efforting in the wrong arena. Wait a second, though. Except my righteousness exceeds, Brother Dave McDonald, exceeds? Then how do I connect the dots between all of that and Isaiah 64, 6, where the prophet said, our righteousness is as filthy rags. My moral purity, my, my stand before God, my being correct in the presence of God. The, pro the golden prophet Isaiah said, it stinks like rotten rags. Brother, you, you texted me this morning about Isaiah's 
frame of mind when, when he said, I'm, I'm a sinful man. I, don't, I couldn't do that. And the angel had to take that coal of fire from the fire and touch his lips. Am I even allowed to discuss my own righteousness? How dare I discuss my own righteousness? Do I even have any? And Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds. I remember several times through the years teaching from the text where Jesus said, um, don't call me good. No man's good but one. And several times through the years I've asked people, you know, if you think you're a good person, raise your hand. People raise their hand in my heart. I'm thinking, you don't get what I'm saying. I appreciate you not being a bad person. But good in the sense of righteousness. The problem was this. The Pharisees' righteousness was strictly on the outside. They did everything to be seen of men. They paid their tithes and showed up at prayer meeting and wanted to know if pastor was listening to them pray. They showed up to outreach because they wanted to make sure Brother Stacy knew, I'm here. And then they hid around the corner and didn't knock a single door, but they wanted the hosts to know we're part of the team. Pastor talked about when's the last time you fasted. Man, they raised their hand. That was the Pharisees. Their righteousness was simply so they could get a pat on the back. Like any barren, and I mean by that fruitless believer, like any barren preacher, like any barren musicians, like any fruitless teacher, like anybody in position in a church that's just occupying space and never trying to grow. This is what the Pharisees did. You ready for this? If you don't want to, if you don't want to write it down, you can get it off the tape or whatever later. The Pharisees came to church like many barren believers, inspecting others, not expecting God. I said they came inspecting others, not expecting God. I'm just getting started tonight. They memorized the protocol, but they had zero principles. They obsessed over issues, but they had zero influence. They had no fruit, but they can itemize every person's flaws in the church. Oh, I want to preach a little tonight. They gave the least but demanded the most. That was the Pharisees. They did all the nut on bolt work outwardly to make it look like they were super spiritual. But their righteousness stunk like sour rags. Jesus even said it. They stand on the street corner. 
and they hope someone walks by and says, oh, my word, listen to the words flow off of the lips of that preacher. They live for that. I'm going to say it again. The problem was they were righteous only on the outside. Jesus said, you're like graves that men walk over, talking to the Pharisees. He said, they don't even know what's underneath the surface. It's full of dead men's bones, meaning the heart of the Pharisees were. But similar to fruitless believers or fruitless ministers, they came to church inspecting everybody else, but not expecting God. They had all the protocol memorized down pat, how to stand, how to raise their voice, how to lower their voice, how to hold the mic, how to please everybody, but they had zero principles. They obsessed over little issues, and they had zero influence when we needed it. They had no fruit, but they can itemize everybody's flaws. They gave the least but they demand from the preacher the most. <laughs> Enough about those guys. Brother Larry, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all that he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah. Praise God for saving me. Lord Jesus, I say this one in 100% hope of being, being humble and sincere. Every pastor thanks God for solid, faithful saints of God that attend his congregation. If they've got 30 or 300, they thank God for the faithful people that they see every single time the doors are open. You may think the preacher's got something going on between him and God solely, but he is feeding off the faithful attendance and sacrifice of solid saints of the Most High God. He, he is not one inch motivated by the Pharisees in the congregation. But he is fired up by the faithful people that come, that are sincere, that are praying even when their lives are a wreck. I'll tell you what encourages the pastor when he sees people praying and he knows their lives are crumbling, their lives are falling apart, but they're in the altar seeking God. They're up here worshiping the Lord, and he knows that they're in trouble with God, but they're trying and they're praying. That means so much more to me. It hasn't happened very often, Brother Anthony, but it has happened a few times in life. Someone will come by after service is over. And I, I don't mean this to be judgmental, but I, sometimes I don't know how to respond, but I have had it happen when people say, hey, make sure you take a look at what I put in the plate today. You know, you ever watch the Three Stooges? I wanted to go, <laughs> self-righteous. 
Jesus saw a little woman come in and drop a couple of pennies in the offering plate. And all these rich cats throwing in all their abundance. And he makes, he makes note of how little she puts in there as being genuine and sincere. If I think about it, when people say that, I say, you just blew every blessing you're going to get. God just extracted everything he was going to do for you by putting that check in the plate. If you got to brag about what you do, you're, you're talking about outward righteousness now. Outward purity. And... Oh, God. I'm talking about true righteousness tonight. True righteousness tonight. So what about righteousness? Do enough of this and that, and all of a sudden we become righteous? Can you become unrighteous by doing evil and wicked? You fill in the gap for me. If we can't do good and become righteous, how come we can do evil? Second Corinthians 5.21 for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. In him. The difference being this. We can do evil and acquire unrighteousness because it's in the human nature. It's in the fallen, sinful nature of the flesh. It's not in the human nature to do acts of good things and become righteous, though. To step out of unrighteousness or evil or darkness into righteousness and light, it's got to be through the blanket of God's love and his acts on the cross. He hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made. Look, I appreciate evangelism. I, I, I would to God. The 10 that invite everybody, every, or in the 10 that invite routinely and regularly, I wish it would be 100. I wish, you'd start, I wish you'd start bothering me because we're out of church cards again. Come on. Come on. And I wish to God, I would to God, that the tithing was 100%. Maybe it is, Sister Play. I know we have a giving congregation of people. You may mention to me just recently. How people are finally, or not finally, but they're, they're seem to grab the concept. God bless every one of you. But every pastor wants to see more people praying. More people involved in the fasting category. I don't understand why I can't break this stronghold of alcohol. I don't know why I can't break this stronghold of tobacco. I don't know why. I don't know either, but I know a good way to get as close as possible to breaking it. Denying that flesh for a bit. Get out of the flesh and in the spirit. Someone said, well, I, I get all beside myself. I get angry when I'm hungry. Well, everybody gets angry when they're hungry. I told you before, and I know some of you aren't this way, but no one ever has to remind me, have you eaten today? I'm 
precious mom asks me that almost a lot of when I go over there to the house. Have you eaten? I'm like, no one ever has to remind me to eat. That reminds me to eat. But God gets behind those shackled strongholds. When you say, I, you know what, you guys go out for pizza, I'm going to go home and just, just try to wind down a bit. You guys go out and have all you can eat. I, I'm not going to eat tonight. God gets behind those walls and those bondages and those strongholds. God can change mighty things through fasting and prayer. God can change people who, who've sworn before God, you'll never change me. Someone start fasting and praying, and God goes to whittling on that soul and working on that mind. All right, I got to get on track here. I got to get on track. Our righteousness is only allotted to us because of the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. And I love this scripture that many of you have committed to memory in Isaiah 54. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Anybody ever quoted that part of that scripture when life was going the wrong direction in your life? When you're getting bad news on every corner? Anybody ever just had the wherewithal to say, wait a second. I don't know how, but no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. And he says, and every tongue that shall rise against you in judgment you'll condemn. Look what he says here. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's true righteousness. When you and I walk in complete humility saying, if I make it, it's just going to be by the grace of God. If I get through this, it's nothing but the mercy of God. If I get through this, it's just the compassion, caring, understanding of a precious shepherd of my soul. That's his righteousness. That's true righteousness. Here's Jesus over here saving blind people and prostitutes and people that were destitute and maniacs and, uh, and, and all kind of crazy issues with people. And here are the Pharisees over here going, hmm. Everybody gather around. I'm about to pray. But Brother Richard Penwarden, except your righteousness exceeds. So it is a shoe in. If you stay humble, his righteousness through you far exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. There's nothing you can do to achieve it, earn it, merit it. Pile it up, gather it up. Are we still having a water baptism tonight, my brother? Come on, bro. That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. And just the mercy of God. Someone said, are you righteous? Are you justified? Do you have an alibi? Are you sanctified, set aside, purified by the blood of the Lamb? That's the only way. That's the only way. In Jesus Christ alone is sanctification, which is separation from sin in the world. Justification, which means that alibi has been attached to my record. 
and righteous. Not holier than thou. Righteous in him. Oh, Jesus. I love you, Lord God, tonight. You are my Savior and my Shepherd. You are my Keeper and my Strong Tower. Uh, brother, go with Brother Dave and get him ready tonight, please. Brother Playo, would you? Yes, sir. Dave McDonald. Hallelujah. Thankful God for what you're doing. Thankful God for the mercy of the Lord that's from everlasting to everlasting. Thankful God for the strength of the Word, the strength of the Gospel, the purity of your presence, God. Hallelujah, what a thought. Jesus, full salvation brought. Victory, yes, victory. Let the powers of sin assail, because heaven's grace can never fail. Victory, yes, victory. Would you lift your voice in thanksgiving tonight? Would you lift your voice in gratitude to him tonight? That you can be sanctified humbly in the presence of God justified humbly because of the actions of God and righteous humbly because of